All right, Matthew chapter 26. If you want to stand, I'm going to read. If you'd like to stand, if you don't, that's fine. But if you'd like to, I'm going to read verses 30 through uh, 35, and then we're going to skip over to verse 69, okay? Matthew 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, fast forward to verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Father, help us to be faithful. God, you've been so, so faithful to us. God, you... You do everything you say you're going to do. You uh, fulfill all your promises. God, you exceed our expectations in every way. God, you're faithful. God, we're not. God, we, uh, we're weak and we're needy and we're desperate for you. Lord, teach us how not to fail. Teach us, God, how to, how to be faithful. Father, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so last week, Garden of Gethsemane, right? So last week, uh, we saw Jesus in the garden agonizing over what he was about to walk through, over taking the sin of man and the wrath of God upon himself. And then from the garden, let me kind of tell you how this goes, from the garden, he goes and meets his betrayer. So he goes and meets his betrayer, Judas betrays him, he is arrested, and then he is falsely accused, and he goes through a series of interrogations all night long, okay? So that's what is happening with Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, Peter, okay, Peter is there at the arrest, okay? He follows Jesus from a distance into the kind of surrounding area around uh, where Jesus is being interrogated, and Peter is questioned as well, okay? Now, Jesus is being questioned by the most powerful men in the nation, the religious leaders, Pilate, Herod. Jesus goes through a series of questioning all night long, interrogating, okay? Peter, though, following at a distance, is questioned by a slave girl, okay? So by a teenage girl with an attitude, a couple of them actually, okay? Now, Jesus would succeed in every way, all right? Jesus would embrace the Father's will. He would willingly drink the cup of God's wrath. He would embrace 
his humiliation. He would embrace the false accusations, the beatings, the scourging, the torture. He would take upon himself the filth of humanity and the wrath of God, and he would willingly go to the cross. When Jesus was interrogated, he responded with truth. Let me give you an example of that, verse 64. Well, as he's being accused, Jesus says to them, You have said so, but I tell you from now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robes and blasphemy, and they start beating him and, and, and spitting upon him and slapping, slapping him in the face uh, and mocking him. Okay, So Jesus is rock solid. He is faithful to God. He is faithful to his mission. All right. Now Peter, on the other hand, is outside the courtyard. He's a spectator. And when he's questioned by a couple of slave girls, okay, he completely falls apart. He's a monumental failure in this moment, okay? Hear the word failure. I think we need to embrace that word. I think probably at some point in our Christian life, we will be that, okay? Peter is a monumental failure at this point in his faith, all right? He denies being with Jesus. He denies knowing Jesus, and he denies any association with Jesus. And I think if Peter were here today, he would tell you this is the most painful, regretted, most devastating moment of his life. Now, here's what you need to know theologically. Here's, here's why denying Christ, for Peter to deny Christ, is such a big deal, okay? Because theologically, here's, here's what we understand. Here's what we believe. Here's what we celebrate. If you're not a Christian, you may not understand this, but if you are a Christian, I think you do understand this. What we celebrate this morning is that we are joined to Jesus, right? What we celebrate today is that we're connected to Jesus, that I, I am united, I am connected to Jesus. Because see, my only hope of salvation, my only hope of forgiveness, my only hope of redemption is that I would be connected to Jesus. It's not that I can do some good things and be a good person and God will look down on me and say, wow, you're really something. I'm going to let you. That, I have no hope of that. My only hope is to be joined to Jesus, to be connected to his resurrection life, to be connected to his death and his burial and his resurrection, to his glory, to the inheritance of, uh, that he will receive from the Father. My only connection or my only hope is to be connected to Christ. And so when, when Peter is questioning he says i don't know him what he's saying is i've got no connection to jesus i've got no association with jesus i don't know him i'm not with him i don't love him i don't follow him we're not together okay essentially that is what peter does he says, I don't know the man. We've got no connection. So when Peter's safety is threatened, he falls apart. When Peter's well-being is at stake, he denies any association with Jesus. And three times he denies his Lord. Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in heart that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 says, everyone who acknowledges me before men. I mean, this is a big deal. And Peter fails monumentally, okay? When faced with potential danger, potential harm, potential discomfort, he completely falls apart. Now, before you're too hard on Peter, I want you to ask yourself a series of questions, okay? I want you to ask yourself, have you always been faithful to the Lord, okay? So before we just come down on Peter and look at all of his monumental failure, I want you to ask yourself, have you always been faithful to to Christ. Have you always, even under pressure, have you always associated with Jesus? You know, we, we, 
We have thousands of opportunities in our Christian life to basically say with our mouth and with our life, I'm with Jesus, right? We have all kinds of opportunities to say no to sin, right? And to say no to sin because I'm with Jesus. That, that's what Jesus said when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, right? That, that's what he said when he, he said, set your mind on heavenly things. He just says, remember, you, I'm not going to live this way, and I am going to live this way because I'm with Jesus. I, I'm connected to him. I belong to him. Paul said it when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So in other words, I think we would all probably agree we've all had times in our life where we've not been faithful, where we've in some way disassociated ourselves from Christ, when we've in some way said, no, I'm not with him. I, I'm going to do this. I'm not with him. I'm going to go my own way. I'm not following him. I'm going to do my own thing. We've, we've all done that, and most of us have done that in situations and opportunities that were much less pressure-filled and consequential than the one that Peter's in. You know, it's easy to say, if you're asked the question today, hey, if you were put in the situation where you had to either deny Christ or be killed, what would you do? You know, it's easy to say what we would do, right? I think all of us in this room would say, I, 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 would, I would not deny Jesus. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm fixing to lose it all, if I'm fixing to lose my life, if I'm fixing to lose my family, if I'm fixing to lose all my possessions, I, I, I would... I would proudly say, I belong to Jesus. I am connected to him. My hope is in him. I'm a follower. I think we would all like to say that. But here's what spooks me a little bit. All the disciples said that. Look at verse 35. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And I think what we learn from that is talk is a little bit cheap, isn't it? Like, if you're not in the situation, if you're not facing a courtyard full of people that are about to murder Jesus, if you're not in the arena with Polycarp, when the proconsul stops and says, look, if you will just deny Christ, I'll let you live. And Polycarp says, 86 years I've served him. And he's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? I think only when we're in the place of Germanicus, who was in the arena, and after being attacked by wild animals, but he was still alive, they pulled him off of him. And they said, Germanicus, you're a young man. You've got your whole life in front of you. All you got to do is deny Christ, and we'll let you go. And the account says Germanicus reached out and provoked the wild animal to attack him, and with that he went into glory. Until you're one of the kids at Columbine, until you're one of the pastors in India, I think it's easy to say what we would do, but I think as Peter found out, it's harder in the moment when your life may be determined by your answer. And again, I, I think many of us would say, you know what, I've been in much less pressure-filled situations, and I basically said, nah, I don't want you, I'll take this. I think this passage is clearly included in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel and in John's gospel. I think it's included for our instruction. What I would really like for us to do is I want us to look at this this morning because I think this has some great truths that teach us how to be faithful and that teach us what to do when you have not been faithful. Okay, so so give me a few minutes here and, and let's just unpack this. 
First of all, why, why, why did Peter fail? You know, that's kind of a mystery when he's so strong, you know, he's so bold, he's so, he's so courageous. Why, why in the world did Peter fail? Let me give you a couple ideas of why I think he failed. Number one, I, th- I think you see a clear pattern here of simply not listening to Jesus, okay? P- Peter simply did not take what Jesus said with a blood earnestness, all right? Note, notice, let me read again to you verses 30 and 35. After they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, like he's speaking to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him and said, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said, No. Even, no, even if I must die, I won't do it. All right? So you got Jesus telling Peter one thing, and you got Peter saying, No, that didn't apply to me. Now, if you even back up further, Jesus has been telling them over and over and over again that he's going to the cross, hasn't he? He's been telling them that. Remember the first time he told them that? Peter's like, no, it'll never be. And Jesus has got to say, get behind me, Satan. So he's been telling them, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be crucified. He tells them here, they're going to stri- Satan's going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to be scattered. And Peter's like, no, that's not going to happen, Jesus. It's not. I'm telling you. I won't do that. And then they go into the garden. Remember they go into the garden? This was last week's sermon. They go into the garden, and Jesus sets Peter, James, and John down. And he says, all right, guys, something big is going to happen. You've got to watch and pray. Right? Direct command. You've got to watch and pray. Be ready. What's Peter do? Nap time, right? Like it's, it's a snooze fest. He wakes them up numerous times to, to urge them. Jesus' word again, watch and pray, all right? But there's something happening here. Jesus is not being listened to. My friends, when we don't take the words of Jesus seriously, we're going to have a hard time being faithful. When Jesus says something is dangerous, it is. It is. Like how many times do people in the church that, 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 that profess to believe the Bible Jesus said, look, this is dangerous. (laughs) Flee from it. Think of all the things the Bible tells us. You need to flee. Flee from sexual morality. Flee from from pride. Flee from selfishness. Flee from materialism, right? When when Jesus says something's deadly, it really is. When he says you need to pray, you really do. When when he says to pursue something, man, he's always right. I was thinking about Peter, what, what he said. Peter got it right so much in, in, his, in his life. In John 6, 68, he turned to the Lord and he said, Lord, you have the words of life. And he was exactly right. Jesus' words are life. And so when Jesus tells you something, we should take that with the most seriousness, right? We, we all know when, when, people, when, when, when you hear something, you can either take it flippantly or casually, or you can take it with a blood earnestness, right? We know that. You go to the doctor sometimes, don't you? And, and sometimes the doctor tells you to do something, and what do you do? You pat him on the shoulder and you say, okay, doc. No more french fries for me, buddy. Those rice cakes, I'm going to try them out. And you're walking out of there, and you do not take what he said with seriousness. I'm not telling you you should. But I'm just telling you, when Jesus says something, you should not do that. And Peter did. Peter did. Jesus was telling him. You're going to deny me. 
And, and Peter, instead of dropping to his knees, instead of pleading for spiritual strength, he's like, no, 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 that won't happen to me. That won't happen to me. My friends, when Jesus says to forgive, you ought to forgive like your life depends on it. You ever thought about that? Like when he tells you something like that, when he tells you to repent, you ought to repent like someone just gave you the, the antidote to a deadly poison you just drank. I mean, I mean, when he tells you to love your enemy and give to the poor and serve your neighbor, man, you ought to do so with great zeal. When he tells you you ought to pray and, and that, the, that, the, that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest, you ought to pray like it's life and death for millions. When he tells you to go make disciples, you ought to get up and you ought to say, all right, guys, we need to figure out how to do this. Like whatever he says, we should take seriously. I, I think that's, that's a big reason why Peter fell here. A lot of people will say Peter fell because he was a coward. I do not believe that. I, I, I do not believe that you and I are more courageous than Peter. This was the guy who when he was in the boat and he sees Jesus in the hurricane, he says, tell me to come to you, right? And then he, Jesus says, come, and he gets out of the boat. That's, this guy's courageous. Look at the passage we skipped. Are you ready? Verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, with whom a great, with a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one that I kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And then look at verse 51, behold, one of those who were with Jesus, I believe it's Peter, stretched out his hand drew his sword and struck the servant, the high priest, and cut off his ear. That's courage. Man, I, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm facing a mob with swords and clubs, you know, and then they, they grab my friend, I don't know that I'm the guy that pulls out my sword and charges ahead and tries to chop somebody's head off. I was talking to Melody about this this week, and and we had a little disagreement. And when I, when I said, man, Peter's like, he's ready to kill. She's like, no, 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 I think that was just a warning. And I, I can't prove to you that it wasn't, okay? I just know if you give me a sword and you say, hey, charge that guy and just cut off his ear, just his ear, you know? One of two things is going to happen. I'm going to miss or I'm going to kill him, okay? I mean, I, I just don't think that I could intentionally. I'm not Zorro. I don't know that Peter was Zorro. Have you ever seen the Zorro movies? Like, that guy would just walk up and go, you know, and you got the, like the Z scratched on your cheek, okay? If I do that, somebody loses an eye and their mouth gets red. You know, I mean, like, like I, I can't do, can you do that? You know, try it this afternoon. I don't know, prove me wrong, you know? I mean, there's no way. I mean, Peter is at, it's at night, it's the middle of the night, and, and, and there's a mob, and he charges forward. Man, this guy is, he's blazing guns. This guy's got courage. I don't think he lacks courage. I think his problem was he was not listening to Jesus. After he pulls the sword, do you remember what Jesus said? I love this. He tells him, put away his sword. He says, put it away, verse 52. Put your sword back into its place. All who take the sword will perish by the sword. He says, do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and that he will at once send to me more than 12 legions of angels? Remember, one angel in the Old Testament would slaughter an army in a matter of moments. And Jesus says, look, Peter, I've got at my disposal 12,000 of these beings. The issue is not them taking me. Peter's not listening. 
He's not, he's got courage, but he's, but he's not listening to the word. Number two, he is full of self-sufficient pride. I, I think this is actually the most important lesson we learn from this. Okay, do you, do you notice what Peter says? You, know, you had to think how these guys even get along, you know, uh, as a group, because Peter keeps doing this to him. In verse 33, Peter answers after Jesus says, you're all going to fall away. Peter answers him and says, though they all, <laughs> who's, he, who's he pointing at? He's pointing over at Matthew and Thomas, right? He says, he's pointing over at Andrew, and he's saying, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Do you, do you see what Peter's saying? Peter's saying, look, I'm stronger than everybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm better than everybody else. Do you notice how he, the, one of the telltale signs of pride is that you compare? One of the telltale signs of pride is that you, you kind of run everybody else down. You, I can't believe those people. You know, they are so not committed, and they are, they are so not, you know, involved. And that's a telltale sign that I'm depending on my own resources. Peter's like, you know, they may be weak, but I'm not. They may be flighty, but not me. They may be unfaithful, but I won't be. I'm stronger. I'm more godly. I'm a better man. I'm more committed than the rest of these weaklings. Even if I've got to die, I won't deny you. Now, what Peter was not factoring in is that kind of bravado strength. It's pretty useless in the spiritual battle. Okay? You know what a lot of people try to do? They try to depend on their emotion of the moment, right? So they'll get stirred up in, a, in an emotional moment and, you know, make this big declaration of how they're going to follow Jesus and love Jesus and serve Jesus and give to Jesus. But listen, if you don't have the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit, that's all empty. Because there's going to be another moment when you feel weak. And confused and vulnerable. I've been reading through Ephesians on uh, mornings with some guys. And I love the way that Paul talks about spiritual strength. Let, let, me, let me give you some examples. In Ephesians 3, this is his prayer for the, the Ephesian believers. He says in verse 10, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, did you hear that? Strengthen with power through his spirit in your inner being. What Paul is describing there is that there is a type of strength that only comes from the spirit. Like you can't muster this up. Like, like you know, we can't, I can't get on a horse and do the Braveheart speech, you know, and, and you all get, ah, you know. Hey, that's pretty useless, honestly, against temptation. And I think, I think a lot of us have experienced that. Like when actual temptation hits, it's crumbled. Why? Because there is a strength that comes only from the Holy Spirit in your inner being. And Paul talks about it all the time. He, he talks about it in uh, chapter 6, right before the spiritual armor passage. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Like He's like, you've got to get this strength, and it's got to be a strength in your inner man. And, and, and Paul was relentless about learning and grabbing on to that strength. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, without me, you can't do nothing. Unless you're abiding in me, you cannot do anything. And I love Paul because I, I get to see his progression through this. So let, let me give you like some of his progression, all right? So um, like in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, he talks about this horrible time in his life when everything fell apart. And, and he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
Paul's like, man, I went through this horrible time in my life, but man, I'm thankful for it now because it taught me something. It taught me how not to rely on myself. The implication there is before that he was relying on himself, you know, and it just led him to this despair. And he's like, man, we learned, we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. In 2 Corinthians 12, this is the most famous passage about this, where, where Paul is, is talking about the thorn in the flesh. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, Paul, you need this affliction because when you're weak, there's something about weakness that causes you to depend on me that actually makes you strong. And then Paul turns around, listen to the way he describes that. He says, therefore, I'll boast, I'll brag, I'll rejoice all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, Paul had figured out that, that, that because of his weakness, because of, of him being driven to his knees and, and and realizing how weak he was and, and depending on God, it enabled him to do things that he couldn't do before. It enabled him to have a power that, that propelled him into the mission to, to go places spiritually that he couldn't go previously. That's what Peter lacked. Why is a guy who will jump out of a boat in a hurricane and who will charge a mob with a sword, why does that guy fold when a preteen, teeny bopper with an attitude says, hey, weren't you with you? Why does he fold then? Spiritual strength. You see, you rely on that other, it's going to fail you in the moment of trial. You know how we know that Peter was depending upon himself here? You know how we know that? Because immediately after this passage, right? So you take verses 30 through 35. He says, you're going to fall away. You're going to deny me. Peter's like, no way. No way, Jesus. You're wrong. I won't ever. I got it together. And then they take, he takes him into the garden. He takes him into the garden, remember? And Jesus sets Peter, James, and John down. He says, guys, you've got to watch and pray. And it is nap time, right? They sleep. Man, I, I, here's, here's the statement that, I, and maybe you'll reject it, I don't know, but I, I believe it. I believe if you are not engaged in warfare prayer, then I think you are living on your own strength. Okay, now what do I mean by that? I, I don't know, I mean, I can't define for you exactly when, when it, but, but I would just say this, if all you got going during your week is, God, thank you for this food, and on your way to work, God, please bless my day, help me, help my family, get us through, amen. And if, that, if that's what you're living on, then you are not depending on Christ. Okay, I, I'm talking about in some way you're driven to your knees, and you're like, God, I can't, I can't do this. God, I need you. I want you. I want what you have. God, I'm pleading for what you would give to me. I'm pleading for your resources. I'm pleading for your strength. And Paul says that that's when we get strong. Peter did not do that, guys. Peter said, I got this. And he failed horribly, regrettably, devastatingly, he blew it. Now, I believe that I am probably in a room full of failures. Okay? I think that's probably true. I'm assuming that. Okay? 
I'm assuming that, that we are all more like Peter than we would want to admit, okay? Probably just for most of us, we have not had the occasion to blow it this big. Or maybe we have even, all right? And so I want to give you the best news that I could give you this morning from this passage, okay? Are you ready? Jesus loves, forgives, restores, and uses horrible failures, all right? Man, that's, that's, that is so encouraging from this passage. So let's, let's think about that, okay? So, so the hardest moment of Jesus' life, all right? So, so I, I, I just know there's, there's a couple different ways you can fail, and I, and I want you to choose the way that Peter failed, okay? I want you to fail like Peter, all right? I don't want you to fail, but if you do fail, I want you to respond like Peter did, okay? And here's what I know. Here's what I know. Peter blew it in a really bad way, all right? When you think about it, this is the hardest moment of Jesus' life. Jesus has got to carry a load of grief and guilt and shame and filth and wrath and pain that the entire human race could not carry, and Jesus is going to carry that by himself. And the one thing he asked for is for his guys to just stand with him, and they won't do it. They won't pray. Judas denies him or betrays him. And then Peter, the strongest of them all, denies him three times. And man, when you read this in Luke, Man, it'll just wrench your gut. Listen, listen to it in Luke. Luke twenty two sixty one. 61. No, back up, 60. But Peter said, this is his last denial. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And this was... This was a personal insult. Like Peter says, so help me God, may God kill me. I don't know that Jesus. Rooster crows. He turns and Jesus is looking at him. You ever betray your friend that way? Your friend ever in dire need? And you just say, it's not my friend. I don't know. Okay, that happens. And Jesus loves Peter even still. Isn't that awesome? He loves him and, and he does something that I'm telling you, if you and I could figure out how to do this, it would be revolutionary. Jesus forgives Peter before he ever does it. Look, look at look at verse um, look go back. Go back. Look at look at um, 31. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. It's written, I'll strike the shepherd, the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Verse 32, look at it. But after I am raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And do you get the beauty of that? He says, you're all going to betray me. You're all going to deny me. You're all going to fail. You're all going to disappoint me. You're all going to let me down. Okay, guys, after that happens, y'all meet me at Galilee. <laughs> meet me at Galilee. You would expect him to say, I don't want anything to do with you guys. I'm getting a new crop of disciples because every one of you, after three years of investment, have let me down. Instead, he says, I, I know you're going to let me down. 
Meet me in Galilee. Meet me. You guys be there. I'm going to be there. Matthew 28. Just go forward a chapter. It's so cool. Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, this is after the resurrection, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. They go meet him in Galilee. And when they meet him in Galilee, I want you to see that Jesus does not in any way withhold love from Peter. Peter denied him three times, and Jesus just sets it up so Peter gets to tell him he loves him three times. In verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He said to, that he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Man, three times Jesus is like, you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Okay, Peter, you're my guy. You feed my sheep, Peter. I'm commissioning you. But Lord, I blew it. Peter, feed my sheep. You love me, right? I love, yes, I love, I love you. Man, guys, this, this passage is so cutting in that you have two men in chapter 26 with monumental failures, okay? But they fail very differently. Judas, notice how Judas fails, all right? So Judas betrays Jesus, and then in the next chapter, chapter 27, look at verse 3. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. He brought back the 30 pieces. So he's sorry, guys. Judas is sorry. He brings back the money to the chief priests and the elders saying, I've sinned. Judas is confessing his sin. I've sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. They said, what's that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver, he doesn't even want the money, into the temple. He departs and he hangs himself. Here's how Judas failed. Judas failed by saying, oh, I messed it all up. It's worthless You know, I did the wrong thing. It was innocent blood. And he's in despair. He, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even worth trying. And he goes out in despair and he hangs himself. Man, I've seen Christians do that sort of thing. Maybe not commit suicide, but but I've seen Christians who will fail. And they're just like, I'm just giving up. I'm not, and I'm, not, I'm not worthy to read the Bible anymore. I can't pray anymore. I can't serve Jesus anymore. I'm not even going to try. I've messed up so bad. God will never use me. Man, do not fail that way. When you fail, be like Peter. Okay? Look, look what Peter does. Okay? When, when he fails, he fails repentantly. Right? So, so the next time... The next time that Jesus has an op- or that Peter has an opportunity to see Jesus, let me show you what happens. John chapter 20. They're, they're there together, and, and Mary and Magdalene and the other women went, and they found the tomb empty, and they run back, and they tell Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom he loved. So, so this is the first time, okay? So Peter, three days earlier, has denied Christ three times. I don't even know him, right? Three times. And now Jesus has been crucified on the cross, and it's the third day, and the women burst in, and they say, the tomb is empty. You know what a lot of people would do? They would be like this. Well, he didn't even want to see me, I know. Man, I was there. I said I didn't know him. I denied him. I don't think I can ever face him again. 
Guys, I'm going away. You know what Peter does? He runs, okay? He runs. He, I picture him turning over the table, and he is out the door, all right? Listen, 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 okay? John's very clear about this, okay? So he ran. So, oh, no, she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, all right? But Peter, he's not been fishing in a while. He's gotten a little soft. He's not very fast, maybe a little older than John. And so the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in. So John stops, looks into the tomb. He sees the linen cloths there lying there, but he doesn't go in. Verse 9, Simon Peter comes following and runs in there. Runs in there. He can't wait to get to Jesus. That's how to fail, guys. When you fail, what, what it means to repent is you cannot wait to get to Jesus and you will run. It, you'll, you're out of shape you're breathing hard. You got your inhaler, you know. You got sores on your feet. You're, you're running to get to Jesus. The next scene that we see, John 21. They're out in the boat, okay. All of a sudden, look at this, verse 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. They see the Lord on the shore. It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. You see that? There's the Lord. Ah! He jumps in. He's swimming to get to Jesus. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Forrest Gump, but when Forrest Gump has his shrimping business and Lieutenant Dan, he sees Lieutenant Dan on the, on the, on the little plank there, and he, he j- jumps out of the boat, you know, and the boat's going by itself, you know. He's got to get to, that. That's, that's Peter. Like he can't wait to get to Jesus. Clearly he's seeking Jesus. You see, here's how you know you repented. After a person repents of a failure, they throw their energy, they throw their effort, they throw their zeal into getting more of Jesus. Judas runs away from Jesus. Peter runs to Jesus. That's how you fail. 2 Corinthians describes this in a theological way. Are you ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly grief, that's what Peter had, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief, that's what Judas had, produces death. Verse 11, for see what earnestness, I love that word, this godly grief has produced in you. Also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. And these guys had a godly grief that produced repentance. That's exactly what Peter had. Man, you know that you failed well when you get up and you run to Jesus. And you throw your energy and you throw your eagerness and you throw your zeal into getting more of him. That's how you fail, guys. I think there's probably a couple different types of people in this room today that we need to talk to. Number one. Those of you who are like the pre-fall of Peter, right? You're like, hey, I got this. I got it. I'm not going to mess up. I'm not going to deny him. I got it all together. 
I don't need to pray. I don't need to be on my knees an hour a day, Pastor. I, I can do this all on my own. And then maybe we got some who are the after blowing it, Peter. Right? Where you're like, man, I've really messed things up. You can either go the Judas route of despair and giving up, or you can go the route of the Apostle Peter, who said, by golly, I'm going to get to Jesus, and I'm going to serve him. I love it that the book of Acts opens up in chapter 2 with a sermon, the first sermon of the church. And guess who gets to preach it? The guy that denied him three times. It's not even that great of a sermon if you read it. 3,000 people come to Christ. Isn't that pretty awesome? And that's what God does with failures. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being faithful to us time and time again. Father, help us to, to be faithful. God, help us to be ready, to be ready for the next big thing, to be ready for the next temptation, to be ready for the next problem and obstacle and trial. God, help us to be ready. And Father, I just ask you to, to put it in us, a spiritual strength that would enable us to push forward, God, to be faithful to you. And God, I ask you to, I ask you, God, to help us when we fail. God, to help us to, to repent in such a way that propels us forward to pursue you, to have more of you, to be restored by you. Father, we ask it in Christ's name.